know, we do. We need to recruit more childminders. And the, the reason that we do that is because it is a phenomenal opportunity. Our sector needs you. Um, families need you, more importantly. They need that high quality, bespoke level of care. Children being at home and parents... I suppose understanding a little bit more about the attention that a child needs. It's more important than ever for um, the government to be looking at how early use is funded because every child and every family is entitled to be able to access high quality care. I am Sam Surrey and I am Programme Director for Child Mining in the 21st Century, which is a... Um, if you like, a, a strategy, a project stream of work that PACI, the Professional Association for Childcare and Early Years, the focus of my work is to look at childminding as it is right now. That's both in a pandemic and, you know, with that wishful thinking head on that it's going to be over really soon and everything will, will go back to normal. But, you know, that, that idea of where is it now? How can we make it? better, easier? How can we encourage more people to come into the sector? I was going to say, because it sounds a little bit like when you're talking about child mine in the 21st century, that you might not actually want things to go back to normal. No, well, I think that, uh, don't get me wrong, I never, I would never wish a global pandemic on anybody, ever, not even my very worst enemy. Uh, but definitely there are some, I think there's some positive things to have come out of the pandemic and definitely Pacey as an organisation have heard from um, not just from childminders actually from lots of different early years providers about how actually the pandemic has forced their hand to make some decision on things that actually have turned out to be quite a positive and that that you know things that they might um, continue to do even when we go back to normal but you know depending on what normal looks like you know so things like um, virtual visits so although um, early year settings can have prospective parents come and visit the setting as, you know, as long as they've risk assessed all parties are happy, two metres, all of that. Actually, lots of people started using the wonderful functionality available to them, you know, just in their mobile phone and creating a virtual tour of their setting, which they could then share. And actually, that's a fantastic little tool. And it, you don't have to be in a global pandemic to use something like that. You could do it all the time. So, um, I mean, obviously that's very, very small scale, but I think that there are things that, for good and for bad, that probably won't ever go back to the same. And do you think in terms of things that might not go back to the same, you talked a little bit before we did your introduction and started the actual podcast recording about sort of your two-year-old being at his childminder and early years continuing through this and you recognising that having your seven-year-old at home is different to having your two-year-old at home while you try and work. Do you think that one of the things that might come out as a benefit from the pandemic and from the way that things have happened is that people will understand a little bit more about what is entailed, like what what actually is part of yeah the value in that childcare in that it's not just childcare it's not just about occupying children while parents are at work but all of the stuff that early years professionals actually do I really hope that that is the case and genuinely my respect for teachers has um quadrupled if not more since trying to uh yeah homeschool a seven-year-old but 
absolutely. One of the things that um, early years generally, but definitely, and I know I am a big childminder champion and I, I kind of make no apologies for the fact that I'll keep coming back and talking about um, childminders. But, you know, childminders more than anybody else in the early years sector have really, really suffered from this misconception that they bring children into their home they plonk them in front of the telly or at a table with some crayons and then oh, they just go about the day as normal and take the kids yeah, with them. Yeah, that's it. They're just, you know, that glorified babysitters. It's like that really horrible concept that this person is is literally doing very little with your child by keeping them fed and occupied while you're off at work or studying or whatever. And we see a lot of that parallel with case. nannies as well, where it's home-based childcare, don't we? Where it's that, oh, well, you're just here. Uh, which is just it is so far from the truth and I think one of the big battles that we have on our hands at Pacey is really really championing uh, well it is it's really tackling those misconceptions head-on unfortunately I don't I don't have the budget what I would love is the budget for an advertising campaign where I could get a wonderful spot right in the middle of um I don't, I don't really watch I'm a celebrity, but if I did, that's probably the show. Something that's with that reach. Really big mainstream TV show, Saturday Night Takeaway or something, and a lovely glossy TV ad that showed exactly the wonderful work that childminders do. Um, but equally, there is some work to be done in the early year sector itself. I think we, you, know, you hear some amazing stories of partnership working between all elements of the early year sector, you know, so a local authority working with early years teachers and nurseries and preschools and childminders and them all working together to provide the best forms of blended service for families in their area that's amazing but for every one of those stories that you hear you'll hear another that says you know even the local nursery won't recommend me because they say I'm just a childminder and it's that term just a childminder early years don't we and and I've talked often about the word just and how much I hate it um it's 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 not even just early years it's all of those like human people based you know caring professions um we see a very similar thing in health and social care if you ask someone who works in a residential care home or a nursery or as a nanny or in any of those jobs that where you have to take all of yourself to work every day and you can't opt out and have a, I'll just stay in my jammers and tackle some data entry stuff this morning because I feel a bit worse for wear. In all of those really full-on jobs, if you ask someone what they do, they'll tell you that they're just a nursery worker or just a teacher or just a care worker or just a care manager. Because I think there's a lot of that stuff that becomes part of your core skill set and part of, I suppose because of that values-based recruitment and the way that we know that we look for the type of person who might be able to develop these skills really, really well, there's that risk that they don't recognise that those skills are skills. Absolutely. And and it doesn't help that it's all underpinned as well by this feeling of undervalue because of the rates of pay that they receive that the opportunities that there are for career progression from the lack of support that they might receive for starting up a business or getting their training and and don't get me wrong that's not um a whole scale vilification of you know all government funding because also misconception isn't it because actually one of the things i've been really i suppose encouraged by since looking at early years as I'm not an early years professional, but from that sector support point of view, 
is that there are professions within early years that are quite well paid. Like you can earn a decent amount of money being a childminder or a nanny um, in terms of that recognition and the, the career path that you'd follow. And it is possible still within early years to sort of create a career that really suits you and that develops your own interests and your own skill set. But because what we see of early years is that on the ground front like line worker in that sort of initial like making a difference job it's as if we see them as jobs and not careers um and i, I don't know how to fix that oh if you ever work out the answer if you could let me know Dawn, that would be amazing that's my job solved but no i mean I, there were there were two points there that i'd like to pick up on or follow up on because absolutely you can make uh, a really good career, both financially, but also I think kind of uh, emotionally as well as an earliest provider. You know, if you are, um, if you're passionate about working with children, then actually being in the early years, that's a wonderful place to be. And yes, absolutely. There are people across the spectrum who are making a really good living thank you very much from being early years professionals and that's amazing um and you know with my childminder kind of hat on absolutely well you know we do we need to recruit more childminders and the the reason that we do that is because it is a phenomenal opportunity to have a really really flexible business that is your own you know you're a you're a self-employed person that you are running your own business so you get to make a call on you know exactly how you want your setting to run it's not like if you're an early years teacher let's say in a reception class in a school where everything is you know to a point it's going to be dictated to you by the school itself you know you have you get to set your own ethos don't you if you've got your own setting absolutely absolutely and we hear so much about but you know people love the idea of you know, being able to have this business that can be spontaneous and really child-led. You know, all the children today, it's really caught their eye that it's raining outside and they really want to, you know, jump in puddles. Well, that's great. We're all going to get our puddle suits and our wellies on and we're going to go and talk about the weather and why it rains and the noise that it makes me jump in the puddle. You know, there is there is such a lot of freedom in that sense as um, a childminder, which is phenomenal. But I mean, equally then, we are battling on the other side with um, finances in terms of you know, there used to be support from government for setup costs so if you decided you wanted to become um, a childminder then there was financial support to help you to do that that no longer exists but also across the country we've got this kind of postcode lottery really in terms of the money that you receive for funded hours so just in case there's anyone listening who isn't aware in a nutshell, parents, most parents can access some hours of childcare that it essentially is paid for by the government. Um, and the government pays that money to providers, but it pays it as a, at a set rate based on the local authority area in which they live. Now, in some parts of the country, the rate that the government pay for a funded hour of childcare is about the same as a provider would charge for a private hour of um, childcare. That's brilliant. Happy days for everybody. Nobody misses out. However, there is also the case that in some areas, that amount of money paid for private versus funded is really quite large a difference. And where it is a big difference, you know, let's talk about a pound or a pound fifty difference 
if that £1.50 difference is per hour per child, actually across the course of a week, across the course of a month and a year, you're talking about huge deficits in potential earning. And so there's a lot of work that Pacey are, um, it's an ongoing um, cycle of work that we do with government to try to really, uh, you know, raise awareness of this issue. And then the financial issues that it places on providers, because, you know, parents want funded childcare, but if delivering funded childcare means that you're out of pocket by hundreds of pounds, you know, it's that awful balancing act, isn't it? And I think the issue that the pandemic specifically has raised as well is that obviously parents, I'm, you know, I consider myself in a really, really fortunate position that myself and my husband have both managed to work through the pandemic and work from home. So our financial situation hasn't really been you know, impacted too much. It, it's more important than ever, I think, for um, the government to be looking at how early years is funded because every child and every family is entitled to be able to access high quality care, you know, whether that is a childminder, a nursery, a, um, a nanny. Do you think that we might see that focus change as people start to take childcare back up again as an offer, you know, where people are starting to go back to work or even just looking for childcare so that they have the capacity to look for work? Because looking for work was a full time job before the pandemic. And now the way that competition works, really, it's going to be a full time job finding a full time job. Um, So having that capacity to actually do some job search and put yourself in the headspace to sit down and maybe do a careers quiz like the skills mine I want on the Cash Alumni website and look at your skills and have you know that takes a lot of headspace that you probably haven't got if you're doing your own childcare. Um, do you think that post I said post pandemic, you know, like COVID's going to be here forever, but in in terms of the recovery from the pandemic and the way that we see the world start to shape itself afterwards, do you envision? that parents might look for smaller sort of settings or or, or ways to have more personalised childcare from a childminder or from a nanny rather than look at nursery provision where it's larger groups of children or where that funding, for example, you know, like one of the things that, that practitioners that I talk to talk about is that they wish funding was more, not so that the setting had more money, but so that they could reduce the number of places they offer to be able to provide a better level of care for each child. Do you think that with the experience parents have had and the way that settings have operated on a smaller, more child-centric level during this, that that might become more normal and that therefore funding might follow? I would love to think that that was the case and definitely and this is just my personal experience um is that we as parents so in the first um in the first this is cross thinking back now so in the first lockdown um early years providers um all had to close their doors to all but um key worker and vulnerable children for what was maybe a couple of months and then they opened their doors again but um, nannies were allowed to continue throughout. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so they could continue working because it's one of those jobs where you're going into someone else's mm-hmm. home as opposed to being based yeah. at a setting, if you like. So, yes, nannies the whole way through. But for childminders, so if we're talking about that, uh, that kind of setting that is out of your own home yeah. but is smaller, 
So they were closed for a couple of months, then they opened again. And I was on furlough the first time round um, from Pacey. And, but my husband was still working full time. And, you know, we had a conversation. And the truth of it is, this is really sad. I think that, um, and there's so much research now to back it up, but the, the negative impact that the pandemic has had on the mental health of even the very young is huge. And in that couple of months where my then, how old would he have been? 16 months old, maybe, wasn't at his childminders four days a week like he had experienced, but instead was at and home every day. And he has a mum who knows loads of things about childcare and how to occupy him and how to apply all of those strategies and how it all works. But it wasn't the same. And I really started to notice the difference with him. He became much more clingy, um, very kind of emotional, more, I mean, it's, he's my son so he is going to be an emotional child anyway but more, you know more so than than normal and so then when um childcare settings opened up again my husband and I had a conversation and um he's in security operations so he's all about kind of risk assessment and that's part of what he does on a day-to-day and he's like, right let's risk assess sending our child into a setting but because it was a childminder setting we knew it was a really small number of families that were going we had not a huge amount, but a limited amount of understanding about those families and how they might be um, behaving in terms of with government guidelines. We knew absolutely what our childminder was like. We looked at the negative impact of our child not socialising in a setting and we were like, actually, for us, it absolutely makes sense for him to go back. So my money was reduced, but we continued to pay for childcare because we saw the the benefit of it for our son. And honestly, it's that just after a couple of days back at um, Lorraine's, that's his childminder, he was just, you know, as a different child and back to his old self. And, you know, I think that there is a huge amount to be said for the confidence that parents can have in smaller settings. I think that made the decision easier for us to send him back. And if he was a child that attended a large nursery rather than a childminder, I don't know that we would have made the same decision. Obviously, that's a very you know each family is going to be different but for us I don't know we would have as easily decided to send him straight back had he been mixing with you know 20 or 30 other children it's because it was only four or five it felt safer and I think there is definitely something to be said for that about um, families during the pandemic thinking about smaller settings and the benefits that they um, that they provide yeah and not not just for me on that basis but on that I think children being at home and parents I suppose understanding a little bit more about the attention that a child needs to be able to either reach those learning goals that are being set by school because I know we've talked about homeschooling but really parents aren't homeschooling they're home te- home sort of facilitating or doing the other bits they're not like those those goals and those aims and those sort of learning plans are still being developed for them and and, and they're still being able to apply those and that that so I don't know whether hitting sort of parents having the focus to be able to spend time with their children and understanding how much interaction and attention and development needs to be given to a child for them to be able to do that stuff might help people to understand why 
earlier settings are a really valuable because they can do that and they can do that in a larger group because they've got the skill set and the team and the stuff to be able to do it and to, to encourage that interaction and to plan for those learning aims to be met but that in those smaller settings there is the additional capacity then to do a little bit more. Um, so for example, a little while ago, um, I spoke to dandelions um, who are a nursery in Norfolk um, and they're a forest school and they talked a little bit about the only reason they can do what they do is because they're privately funded and parents pay for a place. Parents pay more so that that child to practitioner ratio can be lower and they can do more things like risky play and allowing children to explore the environment a little bit more and play with tools and do stuff that seems terrifying to me as a non-child person who worries about killing children every time I look after them for somebody else. Um, but that in that structured environment has all of those like really important developmental milestones and planning for that really best start and developing motor skills and cognitive function and you know I had never ever considered as a child free or childless or however you want to look at that um person that like all of the stuff with play-doh and stuff that people do in nurseries isn't just playing with play-doh and developing creative skills it's developing the muscles you need to be able to hold a pen like that blew my mind that that was like like all planned in and I think what we were talking about earlier on about practitioners not necessarily being able to make the links between the stuff they do on a day-to-day -day basis and why they are brilliant is that recognition that recognition that actually you're, you're doing all of this stuff as part of your day and you do make those links in your head and you are planning for all of that activity and that I think is the bit that one might see the the focus on change. Maybe, maybe I it's I I do I kind of um maybe people are just at their wit's end. I don't know. <laughs> no, I do. I I really hope that that there is a shift. That there are. I'm a big believer in silver linings. I think there are already some to have come out of. Um, the pandemic and I do hope that one of them um, for all early years providers is that there is a greater recognition of the role that they deliver of that really uh, the vital role that they're playing in children's eyes and I don't mean playing as in game playing but that role that they play in you know really developing them and setting a really strong foundation for them moving into kind of school and 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 later learning and I genuinely have such an admiration for early years practitioners because I find it tiring looking after my own two boys for any more than a few hour stretch at a time because it's just exhausting the amount of you know attention that's required and the fact that they're doing that day in day out with groups of children that are different ages and stages you know that I know I Again, making With different challenges and barriers that they all bring at the same time. Making no apologies for being such a childminder champion, you know. But when I think about these settings, and they can have, you know, a baby, a couple of toddlers, and then they might, in normal times, have, you know, be providing wraparound care for older children as well. And they have this magic ability to kind of 
to to take an activity and to just make it accessible for all of the children, make sure that everybody's having fun, everyone's taking something away from it, everybody's learning. Um, again, kind of thinking about you know real life examples that I'm seeing all the time, but you know these childminders who at the moment. Um, so we have we're in this stage with pandemic where as much as families can use multiple settings if they have to it is heavily advised that they don't and they try to use single settings wherever possible which is completely understandable but that does mean that then there are a large number of children who um, are coming to that age where parents were thinking oh I want them to go to preschool or play group as well as my childminder or that I want them to be at the nursery for some time and at a slightly different setting where that's not happening as much as it was and so practitioners are maybe having to take up an additional role as in the one that their their kind of their partner practitioner might have fulfilled previously so thinking of my child minor as an example one of the elder children at her setting would have been due to go to a preschool isn't and instead is is doing all of her childcare hours at the childminder so that's the single setting that the parent have chosen and so instead the childminder is creating this whole wealth of kind of activities and games and things that are, are really helping to ensure that that child is ready for school by the time September comes and at the same time you know offering these wondering wonderful like mentoring opportunities for the child so come on now you can get involved with the younger ones you can be showing them how to do it and you know it is it's that's the type of thing I feel like as a parent, I should probably be doing more of, but you don't think of in the moment. But only as practitioners, it's just it comes as it's what they do and it's part and parcel of the service they offer. It it comes so naturally to them. And that's what it is. It's going back to that. That's why it's so sad when they refer to themselves as just childminders. SkillsMiner is a great new addition to the Cash Alumni website. We've worked with SkillsMiner to offer access to their amazing tool that can help you to figure out what you might want to do next in terms of learning or which job you might be suitable for that you might not have considered before or even just to figure out what your skill set is. You can access SkillsMiner for free as part of your Cash Alumni membership. All you've got to do is go to cashalumni.org.uk and head to the SkillsMiner page in the professional development section. How can we convince early as workers that they're amazing? You know, especially those is you're talking about in that individual practice where their child minders or their nannies or people working in that sort of facilitator role where they're doing like a bit of you know self-employed peripatetic like going around like doing like special educational things that that don't have the reinforcement of a setting telling them that they're star of the week or that they've had a nice letter from a parent or that there's been something put on the given tree for them or you know because I think more and more we say that nurseries are quite good or getting quite good at doing a bit of staff recognition and and looking after staff well-being and putting strategies in place to make sure that staff don't burn out or that you know they're getting that recognition and that support but that must be much more difficult for those solo practitioners. And, and probably even more so during the pandemic, because, of course, even if they had previously had local groups of childminders that they would meet up with and do things with and, you know, where they get to have that kind of face to face networking and support, obviously, that's not happening as much. Um, but I think social media for all of its faults, and sadly, it does 
have many. Uh, it also can be a fantastic tool for showcasing um, great practice, um, fantastic individuals. And so, I mean, as an organisation, Pacey tries very hard to, at all opportunities, shine a light on um, great practitioners and, the you know, the sector as a whole. So we, um, a while back now, we did have our hashtag not a babysitter campaign. So, and that was specifically for childminders and to really try and, uh, you know, beat home that message that no, they are high quality early years professionals. They are not just sticking your child in front of the TV. And, and that campaign did really well. But obviously we wanted to do something that encompassed all early years providers and not just childminders. So that kind of, then evolved and became our um, childcare champion. Pacey's uh, Facebook page is just this wonderful wash of great examples of what childminers are doing. And I think that that's really important to share because the more, not just for the individuals that we're talking about, although we know that they love, you know, when we showcase the activity they've done that week or how they set up their tough tray or you know, their woodland walk, whatever. So it's, it's great for that individual, but it also reminds other practitioners that, that these things that you are doing, they are fantastic. They are amazing. They are worth celebrating. And you in your role is worth celebrating. So um, we do that quite often. Um, I'm, we do a little bit of that through Cash Alumni as well, obviously through our social media channels, but also that best practice part of the website is full of things written by those practitioners as subject specialists writing about what they do every day and how that links back to things like the EYFS and that sort of framework so that that recognition can happen. Um, and one of the things that I've, I've been really lucky to be part of really is that there's a, a Twitter community um, called the EY Tag Team um, where it started from a hashtag and it was some early years practitioners and early years further education professionals sort of looking at ways that they could do some sort of professional networking and professional sharing where it was like non-hierarchical it wasn't like we know the things because we do the teaching and you will listen to the things it was it, it genuine conversations and it's been really really lovely to watch that grow and watch sort of in those short amounts of characters all of the photographs and all of the beautiful sort of displays and ideas and best practice sharing but also practitioners sharing their challenges so that they can get support through that sort of social media community and things um so i think you're right there is quite a lot of nice stuff out there that practitioners can get involved in if we can tell them that it exists do you think that part of not looking for that or part of not finding that is that the idea of looking for stuff related to your sector it's always going to be outside of work time because while you're in work time you can't sit and look at that sort of stuff and that maybe that whole idea around it being a job and not a career or not a thing means that CPD isn't necessarily looked for um in the places that it could be more easily found because we do see it CPD that professional development as being a course or a qualification a commitment you know that informal CPD isn't as easy to talk about or as to discuss or to point people towards no it isn't although we do as an organization try to remind our, or at least our members but you know everybody on a, on a regular basis actually CPD is 
is anywhere and everywhere. Actually, <laughs> CPD, absolutely. But it really is. That can be a, a conversation with another practitioner because actually, if you've taken something away from that, that that is CPD. It doesn't have to be doing a course. Although, um, that, you know, that's sorry. That's I don't want to diminish training at all because obviously, training is really important. And I think. Well, I mean, definitely the, for those um, settings that were closed for a couple of months, so that weren't open for kind of key workers, what we saw actually was a lot of people utilising that time for CPD, which was fantastic. So, you know, people taking courses, whether that being kind of full accredited courses or using something like EY Smart and taking a 10 minute top up or refresher or you know just going on to um any one of them the number of early years websites and going oh look i can i can learn a little bit more about schemas i can understand a bit more about how i can adopt forest school um you know principles in my practice so i think that um the issue that cpd faces with practitioners is that they are so time poor because they have long working hours. Once they close the doors, that isn't the end of the day because, well, at the moment, they've got additional cleaning to be doing on top of, you know, bits of paperwork that they might have if they're, you know, if they want to and feel like they've got to write up observations. But, I mean, even down to kind of monthly invoicing, that doesn't happen by itself. So, you know, all of this work that they're doing, and then you get to the end of the evening, and at the end of the day, they're still also a human being who probably, especially if they're a childminder, has a family of their own. So they're cooking dinner and they're getting the laundry done and, you know, all of the other lovely things that come with um, running a house. So I think a lot of the time um, there is a feeling that I just don't have time for CPD. And that's where I like to remind people that actually CPD can be reading through. professional network. Well, yeah, it can be just having a conversation with someone. It can actually be being in a Facebook group and reading through the responses to a thread because if there's a discussion about how to deal with two-year-old tantrums let's say a lot of what you're reading is going to be fantastically useful advice that in itself is cpd if you can take that information process it and understand how to apply it in your setting there you go you've got you've got yourself cpd and that does kind of loop us nicely back to um social media and its benefits because i think well definitely what we've seen as an organization is um an increase in the use of Facebook groups for peer-to-peer support, particularly driven, I think, I mean, they were there anyway, but driven by the pandemic because you can't necessarily go down to the local park and while the children are playing, having, have a catch-up on, you know, how's how's it going getting Bobby out of nappies or, you know, are you making any progress, let's say? Are you on to your next book? You can't do any of that necessarily now, but what you can do is be on a group and share those experiences and ask for advice. And and definitely in our own groups, we've seen a real increase in the amount of peer-to-peer support that's that's going on via Facebook. And I'm sure we're not alone. That will be, I would think, widespread. Do you think that will help with that sort of making the early years sector more inclusive towards childminders and nannies? And Because at the minute, I think there is quite a divide between the way that we view or talk about nursery workers and nursery practitioners who work in settings and childminders and nannies in terms of the professionalization and the way that we view those roles you know with them being home-based versus setting-based do you think that that online networking and that ability to to see what childminders and nannies are doing um might help with to 
to align those a little bit more closely where people recognize that it is just as professional a job if not more professional because of the boundary setting and the professional stuff you need to do because it's your own business um I'll I'll be honest I think the the sound reality of it is that I think the most um successful groups that I've seen on Facebook or at least as in successful in terms of the number of childminders that are participating in them are ones that are specifically for childminders and I think because there's that mindset with the practitioners themselves that nobody else understands my role you know as in I I feel safe in this community because it's people who know the role that I play and who understand the value of it I suppose maybe that's um it's another um, objective I can add to my to-do list that actually you're right that if there was more visible peer-to-peer support on social media that crossed those boundaries of roles within the sector then yes we could encourage that. Is there anything that you think it that you'd really like to get across that we haven't had a chance to talk about so far or anything that you think of all of the things that you'd like people to know about childminding or about childminding specifically in the 21st century um what would you like people to to take away from our conversation or 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 to to implant in their brains to have a little bit more think about um okay so for those that might be considering it as a career our sector needs you um families need you more importantly they need that high quality bespoke level of care that only comes from a home to home setting um and actually the, the 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 training the registration none of it has to be as scary or as lonely as you think that it is because there are support networks like Pacey out there who can really handhold you through that process of becoming um, a childminder so I would encourage anybody who has a real passion for working with children that is looking for something flexible and home-based and who wants to run their own business to really give child mining a serious consider because it, it can be a fantastically big tick in all of those boxes. Um, in terms of those already um, as working child minders, um, if, I, if I haven't said it enough, I am a huge child minor champion. I'm such a huge fan of the service that child minders provide and I would like child minders to know that they aren't alone, although I appreciate that they work at home alone every day actually um pacey and and you know a huge number of other early years organizations really do understand the value that they offer and although a lot of work that organizations do can often be seen to be behind the scenes as in your you know in the way that i'm not looking in every childminder's house every single day they aren't seeing what goes on you know in not even in the office anymore in all of our homes (laughs) you know what we're doing we genuinely are interested in ensuring that parents understand the value of child minders that other practitioners understand the value of child minders that government understand the value of child minders and that that value is recognized both through demand for their services and fair payment for the service they provide and that isn't going to stop um you know that that is something that that is what Pacey will continue to do, pandemic or no pandemic. Um, and actually, from then a, a kind of an organisational point of view, what would we like you to do? We'd like you to come and just 
follow the Facebook page. Actually, it doesn't need to be any more than that. But keep up to date with what we're saying, because actually some of the things that we're doing, we need the sector's help in order to do that. So, you know, to understand what childminders really need and want, we need childminders to tell us. They, they don't even need to be PACI members to do that. That's great. So how do people find the Facebook group or Patty's website or the best ways to sort of stay in touch with you as if they wanted to find you? So Pacey's website is Pacey, P-A-C-E-Y, dot org, dot UK. Um, if they're specifically worried about um, coronavirus support, um, I will say actually that our, so our COVID spotlight, this was going back a couple of months when I last looked at the figures, but had been viewed by over half a million individuals. You know, we've worked tirelessly to make sure that it is up to date. So pacey.org.uk forward slash coronavirus will get you to the FAQ section of the website. So that's definitely worth checking out. But actually, just generally, there's lots of lovely information on there, including links to our um, Facebook page, which is an open public page. If you searched Pacey on Facebook, you would find it. Um, But what I like to think is it's this really lovely balance of really important things that you need to know and opportunities to engage with Pacey and to let us know what you need and you know what you want as a sector but then also it's just got some really lovely examples of what childcare practitioners are doing and that's not just childminders although obviously I'm the biggest fan but that's you know as any early years providers we love sharing best practice we love sharing examples of things that are going on and so there's always some beautiful photographic evidence of tough trays and jumping in puddles and it's just it's it's a nice place to go and spend some time. Yeah, and that's one of the things that me and you first sort of talked about back when we first met was the sort of the nice synergy between some of the stuff that that, that we share and some of the stuff that does come through that best practice that people share with Pacey. Um, what we'll do is we'll make sure that we link those things in the description for this episode. So if anyone does want to find those things and they've forgotten how to find them or that the, the address doesn't take them where they think they should be going um we'll provide those links in the description so you can just click on those um thank you so much for your time sam it's been really really nice to talk to you and thanks to you at home don't forget for more great content tailored towards those working in care health and education it's free to join our network and you gain access to some great articles videos and resources to support your career and some information about career development as well as our members discount and benefit scheme And if you'd like to feature on a future episode of PodCash, please get in touch at alumni at cash.org.uk. Until next time, take care.